I don't think anything is untoward with that story. It's just human nature. everyone, here we are for Pepper Pod 13. Eddie's chuckling away already because we had done about 10 minutes of chat there and I hadn't pressed record. So uh, let's try and bring you an escape from all of the silliness in the world. Um, yeah, how are you, Eddie? What, what's been happening with you? Um, well, just wasted a few minutes of my life, but <laughs> no, no, I'm doing great, Andrew. Uh, I'm doing okay. How are you? How are the dogs? They are in in super shape. Uh, we could be recording this pod together now, couldn't we, technically? Like at Warwick Services or something, halfway between us and a long yeah. mic we, cable. We could do that next week, if you fancy it. Where, Would, where could we meet? Warwick, Warwick uh, Services? Just to break the monotony. Are we allowed to do that? I'll check. And if we're allowed to do that, let's see yeah. if we can do that, just to, just to break it up a little bit. Because at the moment, again, it's just going on and on. The same... Day. The same weather as well. It's extraordinary. I know we talk a lot about the weather in Britain, but uh, this drought, and it almost is a drought now, after the wettest winter of all time going into this. Did you ever watch um, Did you ever watch Star Trek Next Generation? No, I didn't. No, you were, that's perfectly acceptable. There, there's an episode called The Inner Light. It's one of the better ones. Patrick Stewart absolutely nailing it. Basically, so Jean-Luc Picard is living what he believes is his life on a, on a drought-ridden planet. Uh, and he's aging years and just minutes and living his whole life in just one episode. Uh, and that's that's my life at the moment. It's just racing past and there's no sign of any rain or moisture. The ground is hard and the, the, all the grass is yellow now. Mabel goes onto the grass and she just disappears. Just a pair of eyes blinking at me. And occasionally you can just see the tip of a tail going. But, I mean, I haven't seen golf courses at the moment, but I presume they're just baked hard as well. I think that's Mabel just trying to get away from all the limelight and the fame. She just wants to disappear. And the Star She's, Trek um, chat as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I think but, it's going well, to rain. It's going to rain tomorrow. That's what I'm told. Yeah, so. I know. I, I think my I I really need a storm. So I haven't seen a thunderstorm. I actually think I'm connected in some way to electrical activity because I say this. This is going to sound a bit crazy, but um, you know, you know me. I'm I'm actually not crazy at all. I think. Um, I'm connected in some way to the kind of electrical activity. It'd be like Halle Berry, you know, uh, in uh, the uh, X-Men films. Which feature, of course, the great Patrick Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the only time I ever feel up in life and excited is when there's a storm. And I'm I'm yearning for one. And uh, I keep looking at the forecast, there isn't one coming. So I need a big storm soon to really just get me out of the rut that I'm in. But... um, yeah, you know, we got a field of sheep across the road and you can hear them barring away in the morning and it's all the birds and the geese. I must say, I, I, I'm in love with the wildlife at the moment and the nice weather and the calm serenity of life. Some some of it's been quite nice. Mm. Uh, I think we need some, we need a bit of, well, the temperature's going to drop a bit, but then it's going to get warmer again and the, uh, the, the rest of June. So anyway, once again, you're listening to The Weather Pod. Did you see the multi-sport Peloton challenge? Peloton have absolutely been bossing this lockdown. This was ESPN Peloton together. So they had this challenge. It was like superstars. You will not remember superstars. Superstar. Does that ring a bell? Superstars TV program? No. Superstars was enormous. And it was David Vine in the 70s and maybe early 80s. They tried to revive it, but it was useless because by then no sports people would take part in it. So they had to get retired sports people. But in the 70s and 80s, you had people like Kevin Keegan at the height of his fame 
nearly killing himself on a bike all for this all for this entertainment so all sports people would take each other on at various sporting disciplines um uh, yeah it was it was extraordinary i loved superstars anyway so on the women's side of things in this peloton channel morgan pressel did well for golf she finished second in the eight women field beating some from football tennis basketball gymnastics she was only behind the runner-up colleen quigley who's a runner i mean she just destroyed everyone so on the men's side golf was represented by bubba watson justin thomas and rory mcelroy so rank those golfers for me in this eight person field with other athletes who finished top of the golfers um, I I mean, I'm going to go Rory, although I suspect Justin Thomas is pretty decent. I'm going to say Rory was the number one golfer. Well, he was. He'll be disappointed, but he was fourth out of those eight, but he was the top golfer. 351 yeah. watt average, though, in 20 minutes. Now, I'm not sure about Peloton's accuracy, but 351 watts over 20 minutes is pretty useful. Uh, there's a swimmer, Matt Grievers, who um, is, you know, he's won four medals at the Olympics. He finished first. Then you had Boston uh, Celtic All-Star Gordon Hayward, of course. Um, then you had the uh, former American footballer turned broadcaster Booger McFarland, um, real name Anthony. He's 42 years old though, and over 20 stone, and he beat Rory as well. So then who's next to the golfers? Well... I can't believe Bubba's beat Justin Thomas, but he well, might you're going to have to. You're going to have to believe it. So wow. Bubba, Bubba Watson was sixth out the eighth, and Justin Thomas finished in last place. Oh, 239 no. watt average, which Mabel can well, do. You see, now what's interesting here is he's he's quite light, isn't he? And you talk about the 20 stone NFL former player. I mean, you've got to think on a bike. I've always thought weight is your friend because you know the more weight you've got pushing down, pushing down on that pedal. Yeah. It combats what you might lack in strength. Mm. So I, strength per body weight, I'm I'm still guessing Rory would be up there in that hole. Yeah, and that's the whole thing in cycling. It's power per weight. So yes, on a stationary bike, it would it would help a bit. But um, anyway, what other uh, actual golf news? So the Euro tournaments that we talked about, you know, they're reviving it with this six six tournament UK swing. I'm chuckling already. Uh, we did what we didn't mention is that there are there are tentative plans to to mic up players. Now, would you be? Do you know about this? And would you be happy to be mic'd up during an actual tournament? Hmm. Can you imagine? Well, how, this is me following you around with Olive, who's also mic'd up, just in case you say something unpleasant, <laughs> ready to bark. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I might have to stipulate that. If we can bring the lawyers along, then um, I might do it. But yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, you know, at what point are we venturing into? What's the word I'm looking for, Andrew? It's at what point? Well, yeah, I, I just, I just don't know that that you know we're trying to play. If it's not that intrusive as a piece of equipment, then I suppose it's doable. But it just takes one. You know, I can envisage. I mean, just imagine I hit a shot and the wire unclips, it catches in my arm, all the grip on the way down. You shank it. I would rip that microphone out and throw it at Keith Pelly's face. Um, and you know, it's just it's going to lead to. It could lead to one scenario where a player just loses it so uh, mm. I just don't know that it's required yeah but I, I think Keith Pelly would go for that because it's entertaining <laughs> and that would go viral that clip here's Eddie Pepperell <laughs> British golfer just losing it uh, not sure what that accent was about either right um, well I, on, a, on a more serious note we've got because everyone was talking about oh, this uh, the PGA Tour is about to resume and 
and uh, the European tour is going to get going in, in the end of July and August. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, what about the women's game, which is delayed in the LPGA Tour? And over here, there's nothing really in the near future, but there is one tournament, a one-day thing, which has been uh, put on at Brokenhurst Manor. So the Brokenhurst Manor Open, it's going to be a one-day thing. It's a closed-door tournament. This is in Hampshire. Scheduled for the 18th of June, and I think they're getting Georgia Hall's going to be playing, Meg McLaren, Annabel Dimmock, Amy Bolden. So this is the, the invention of a, an L.E.T. pro, Liz Young, and the head pro at Brokenhurst Manor, Jason McNiven. So they're both hoping just to get some sort of you know, positivity and sign that there's progress in the women's game as well. It's not officially sanctioned by the LET, but the tour is supporting it. So, yeah, are, I, good. I, I, I do feel quite sorry for, for the ladies' game because, you know, obviously this year was going to be the year where there was going to be some breakthroughs in, mm. in prize funds, and, and that was really great. And it's just not likely that out of a crisis you get growth. And so, you know, you're trying to, we're in, everyone's in survival mode. So the European tour, and you can see in its measures, is just trying to survive and survive for those people that it must. And that's, that's, that's us as yeah. the male player. And, you know, it's just so unfortunate that ladies sports are going to suffer out the back of this. And we just got to hope that we can come back to some kind of growth quickly, and then we can support, you know, the ladies sports where we can. But, you know, in a time of crisis, it's just very, very difficult for that for that growth you know i know people say this is the time to rebuild but actually i think this is such a severe crisis that this is the time for survival mm. and um that's just going to win out yeah uh, people are pulling in the horns which is as, as you say the timing of it is so unfortunate when they're about to have that tie-in with the lpga tour um on, on the other side of the atlantic the corn ferry tour which is now the name for the sort of feeder tour the second level down from the pga tour vj singh pulled out of the corn ferry tour event that he was going to play in so he's 56 57 now but, and so he's eligible to play in these events because he's a lifetime member of the PGA Tour but he was criticised by some for taking a place in the field for the, the first tournament up which is next week at Sawgrass but this caused a bit of a fuss there's a regular Corn Ferry Tour player Brady Schnell with the most American name of all time Brady Schnell who did the very Twitter thing of going on Twitter He's now deleted the tweets, but he said to Singh, you are a true piece of trash if you accept if you accept money playing in a Corn Ferry Tour event, and I'll say it right to your face. And he then deleted the tweets. So, um, And he did apologise to Singh, actually, in a tweet later, or apologise to everybody. Has, has um, he not seen Vijay's workout routines? Oh, I wouldn't no, take on Vijay. Do not mess with Vijay. I don't care if, I don't care if he's 56, 56, 87. Vijay Singh is still going to open a can of whoop-ass. Absolutely. He will put Brady Schnell's body inside one of those rubber rings that he's throwing around willy-nilly, and uh, I would not want to be Brady Schnell right now. Have I ever told you the story about... Um... Anyway, third round of the tournament, I get drawn out with Jace Long, and um, yeah, he... I think we did shake hands on the first tee, um, but this was pre-coronavirus day, so you know, that was acceptable then. But uh, yeah, it was... That happened when I was 16, 17 in America. So, listen, I'm happy for that to stay in. I know you, you know, you think about my career more than I do, and I appreciate you for that, Andrew, but uh, I don't think anything is on toward with that story. It's just human nature. Did you see the BMW Indoor Invitational, the latest uh, edition of that, at uh, Valderrama? <sighs> um, there was no, no, uh, five. <laughs> right, so... 
I'm that imagining stay, that story. That, no. that can stay in. That's I'm, dead true. That's deadly true. I promise you that's a true story. I'm I'm very sure it's true, and I'm very sure you're giving us permission to keep that story in, but it's not. It'll feature in a late-night bonus pod. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of content people want the need at this point. Anyway, listen. So, hey, Eddie, did you see the BMW Indoor Invitational? So... This was the, the latest one was at Valderrama. Up to thirty, there was sort of thirty-eight players now. They've got playing in it. So have you still not been offered a place in the? Or do you have to have a trackman? Do you not have a trackman? Um, I suppose you just have to go to a facility that would have one. But uh, yeah, I don't have one. I don't know anyone that does. To be well, honest, there must be a studio because a lot of the players are playing in studios that they're obviously going to, like you say. So there must be somebody who'd be willing to. I think they've only got one more to go in this anyway. But it's quite a good, uh, you know, it's Valderrama. There was a lot of. Sergio played in it this week. Um, well, I saw, yeah. did one under win? It was one under, there was a tie, I think five players tied, and Val- uh, Garcia was one of those after triple bogeying the first as well. So, Well, I must say, if, you know, that's probably it. For those people that have never, well, many people wouldn't have played Valderrama, but would have seen it on television. That course is, have you been there, Andrew? It's the most extraordinary course. Yeah, it's uh, it's narrow. That's the one that when I I remember I told you a few pods ago about the sort of nightmare I have where I can't tee up and it's trees oh, yeah, are growing course, in etc. And that is that's what I think of Valderrama. Oh, people, it's just the sixteenth hole of Valderrama is gives you nightmares. I remember I played with Laurie there. We were playing a little Spanish tournament, just the two of us, and it had come down to Valderrama on the third round, and I think. I had like a one-shot lead in the total tournament, but I was already beating him by like five at Valderrama because I'm a proper player and he just isn't. But we get to the 10th hole and he he came up short and the ball comes all the way back down the bank into the water and he did it, I think, three times and he ended up making about a 10 and his head had completely gone and uh, it was my first insight into Valderrama and it's just so, so difficult. For much of that story, I thought you were talking about Paul Laurie or Peter Laurie, and then I realised it was Laurie Cantor. Um, so there we are, yeah. or or John Laurie from Dad's Army, but um, no, that wouldn't be possible. Or Hugh uh, Laurie, or Hugh Laurie, or Peter Laurie, who is the but spelt L O W R E from um, Black and White Films of the nineteen fifties forties. Um, right, it's time to talk to our guest this week, who is not really a guest. He's going to be a sort of little co-presenter for us here because he is a, as good a broadcaster as there is anywhere in the world. Uh, he is the BBC's chief football correspondent. He's best known for that sport, but a very familiar voice on BBC Radio's coverage of golf for almost, well, 30 years now, must be commentating the Open, the Masters, the Ryder Cup. The US Open, it is time to hear from John Murray. <laughs> Hello, John Murray. How are you? Hello, Andrew Cotter. I'm okay. How are you? Um, I'm great. How are you, Eddie Pepperell? I mean, we've already, for those listening, we've already had a chat, so this will sound weird. But how are you, Eddie, again? Great. Yeah, this is like the Chuckle Brothers to me, to you. Okay, yeah. I'll leave Um, it to you, too. One of them sadly left us. Anyway, uh, John, how... um, Well, I suppose you're getting ready now for... You are... uh, I'll have given you a big full introduction here, but you are the BBC's chief football correspondent. Football correspondent. Is it not still chief not because there chief. are so many? Not, not chief. chief yeah, yeah, incredibly in the BBC, there aren't enough chiefs. <laughs> been, I think you've been demoted. That would sit awkwardly. Well, I know it did sit awkwardly with you, that title anyway. But um, yeah, there are, there are so many correspondents within football that, that you are the chief. You are the chief. You're the, the big man in so many ways. But um, you're getting ready for football's return. Well, I am. And uh, I've actually just come back off two weeks holiday because I th- uh, the way that things were going, it, it did appear that we were heading towards the, the Premier League starting up again 
and then if if it all pans out as expected, then we're going to have the the Premier League finishing. We're going to have the FA Cup. We're going to have the Champions League and the Europa League coming to a conclusion, and then next season will start. So it suddenly occurred to me that in the point at the place where I normally have my summer holiday, that's going to be occupied by football. So I thought well, I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks off. So so I've done that, and um, and as we're and as we speak now, I'm just waiting to find out what the plans are and how, how actually it's going to work for, uh, for, for us in the media and the BBC to, to cover it when it starts again. Uh, well, my next question was going to be, how is it going to work when you return for the media and the BBC? So maybe I shouldn't ask that now, but you must have a rough idea in terms of, I've seen that, you know, uh, commentators mm. are going to be on their own rather than working with co-commentators, or the co-commentators rather are going to be at a, at a distance away from you. It's, mm. uh, it's difficult. Well, last I heard, um, the the first of all, the BBC have got to sign it off. I'm told from a safety point of view, and uh, once that is done and all of the various um, stipulations have been met, the the last I heard was that the plan is for as small a commentary team as possible to be allowed into the stadiums, and we will be social distancing in our commentary positions. But of course, there'll be plenty of room to do that within the stadium. So, um, I mean, it's, it does seem strange to me that uh, you know, as we sit here talking, and you know, I'm wary about what I need to do when I go into the corp down the road. That within a fortnight, I'm going to be walking into a football ground commentating on a Premier League match it does seem quite a leap to me. Uh, but I, but I think as well they're, they're looking very closely at what's happened and how they've done it in Germany in the Bundesliga so um, you know I think that's setting the template for what we'll do here yeah I mean uh, well, I mean we're all looking at it from a golf point of view as well and it's I suppose it's a sport which can socially distance for the, the players anyway but um, listen tell us about your golfing history because I've worked with you in so many golf events mm. and what, what would be your first major that you worked at well, the first major that I worked at, well, the first major that I went to, the first um, w- was way back in 91, which was uh, the Open at Birkdale. And um, I absolutely, I, I remember being absolutely bowled over by it. I'm, 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 I'm slightly worried, Eddie, that you're going to tell me that was before you were born. That's, that's the year. That was the year. That was the yeah. year. Who won right. it? In what, in what Did John month? Daly win? What? No, no. This is oh, what no, I, it, John. This sorry. This is what I have to deal with. Who, who won? <laughs> who won the Open in ninety? Did John if Daly won? You know your history, Eddie, which clearly you don't. It was Ian Baker Finch. Uh, you must have. You must have seen pictures of that. You must have seen it. Oh come on! Uh, this is yeah. exactly you're, that. The, the, uh, these are familiar refrains from within this podcast every week. Anything really? before I don't know what the cutoff point is. Two thousand five, maybe it just didn't happen. 2012, yeah. anything pre-2012 I'm struggling with now. Yeah. But, uh, That's incredible. It probably knows everything that happened in the Second World War, but doesn't know what happened in golf before uh, <laughs> before a certain date. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Ian Baker Finch, is, is daughter eating Harry Carpenter's microphone? That's uh, right, yeah. The ice ha- cream. Harry Carpenter, Eddie, does that... Harry Carpenter? If I, genuinely, if I say Harry Carpenter to you, what does that mean? Well, it means nothing. Oh, God. This is yeah. the fleeting That's one of the business... Famous- that's one of the famous outtakes, isn't it? Where I think it was Frank Boff queued over to Harry Carpenter. Oh, Eddie and, knows uh, about Frank Boff now because we've introduced Frank <laughs> Boff previously. Have you? Has yeah. Frank been on? Frank hasn't been on, no. I don't think Frank's featured in many podcasts of late. And uh, what was the name of his wife? Um, um, Nesta, Frank, was it? Was it is Nesta? this Frank Boff who was into BDSM? Oh, God, this is what... Uh, right, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll say that's again... What I, I was trying to steer it away from that. 
And this is the other problem, uh, John, with this podcast, is that I do the editing of it. And every time, I mean, again, that's, you know, out there in the public domain, I suppose, in a way. But do I then have to edit it just to make us seem like good citizens? Or do I just let it go? Because it'll mean another 20 minutes of work for me trying to tidy this absolute shambles up. So there we are. Let's, I can't remember. Do you want, what... me, to, do you want me to do you an edit there then? <laughs> yeah. So Shall you I do, do you an edit? Yeah. So, so I... from the point where I, from the point where I said, I think it might've been Frank Boff. Yeah. Go on, go on. Go so, on. It, so I'll take it up from there. Okay. So, and he said something along the lines of, and let's go now to Wentworth, where your carpenter is Harry Commentator. Yeah, exactly. Have you featured in Coleman Balls before? Yeah, very, on, a, on, a, on a fairly regular basis. Any any particular... Have you? I have once. But I, did, I don't recall saying it. I, it, it was a, yeah. It was a quote that said Tiger Woods is, is doing... <laughs> I, I genuinely didn't say it. Tiger Woods is winning this with the relentless bludgeoning of a master craftsman, which I, I don't, I don't, that's not something I would say. I, uh, well, is, it, I, is Eddie familiar with Coleman balls? I don't think so, no. Afraid not. Private, no. private eye, Eddie? Um, yeah, that's the uh, Ian Hislop thing, right? That's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no that's, it, that's very good. Yeah, so Coleman well, balls, well worth, yeah. It's well worth picking up that, the private eye. I would, I would recommend it to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Coleman Balls is the regular sort of commentators or generally spread out to broadcasters in general. They're gaffes and mistakes, which are, are many, many, many. Anyway, and, um, and people and people who and people who point them out and uh, and send them into private eye, I think win five pounds for <laughs> Coleman Balls. Do you know what pounds are, Eddie? Five pounds? Does that mean anything? Um, right. OK, so, I mean, other... Uh, We've enjoyed many a year at. Uh, I don't know what your favourite golf event would be because I only see you at this. It's, of... it's the Open. It is. is de- it's definitely the Open. Is it? Even though I love, uh, you know, I, lo- I love all of the the, the events that uh, that we get to cover, but I think particularly this year, not having the Open, mm. and and I'm you know speaking on a personal point of view, covering football as I do m- most of my working life you know 90 95 percent of the working time and then and then occasionally dipping into golf i find that for me the the open creates like the it's like for me the middle of the year and and you know we've we've gone through all of the excitement and drama at the end of a football season then i'll i'll usually have a little bit of time off there might be a tournament and then there might be a little bit of holiday and then the open comes right in the middle of summer and it's just such a fantastic event to, to be at. As I say, I was totally captivated by it the first time that I went to it in 1991. I've been to everyone since, either either in a social or a working capacity, and um, and I and I always it, it just it just makes me feel good to be at the Open Championship. So I'm really missing it this year. Yeah, and and the Ryder Cup, obviously, uh, you, you've done a good few of those. Uh, you were commentating on on uh, Philip Price. I was supposed to say Philip Park and Philip oh, Price against Mickelson yeah. in two thousand two. Th- was it three and two victory? That uh, ooh, good question. Was it, it was because I was up on the, 
I don't know. No, I think I was on the. I think I think I was up ahead in the seventeenth and heard this roar from back in the sixteenth green. Actually, it might have been that was just a big birdie putt, and that's where he went a bit mad, Philip Price, and it was so unlikely. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what happened. Yeah, mm. correct. That was. Um, I remember watching that that celebration. He, I, I would put him and Ross Fisher up there as two of the most, two of the more awkward celebrators of uh, success <laughs> in golf. I, I, is there any anyone I'm missing there? But I know when I see those two really go for it, I think, well, oh, that's out of character. Oh, that's um, good, actually. Looks looks a little weird. It's the like more... when you see someone get really angry that shouldn't, just doesn't know how to get angry. I always think that's funny as well. But Most um... awkward celebrators in golf. Um, yeah, so but do you have a... A major, I do, you don't have a major fist bump, do you, uh, Eddie, when you're a fist pump? No, you're just a little I really eyebrow. struggle. I really struggle to get excited. What, what's, but, your, what, what's your best celebration been? Um, well, last year at Sawgrass would have been the opportunity I had to really give it some, and um, they started chanting my name, and I just felt so depressed. <laughs> um, now, John, now how weird is it going to be commentating with no crowds? You know, I, 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 oh, yeah. I mean, gonna, what, what's that going to be, be really like? Odd. You know, how's that going to affect you? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, obviously the, the Ryder Cup is the one that, that we're thinking about from a golfing point of view, which would be just bizarre. And, but I mean, frankly, if, if it goes ahead, I would, I would severely doubt that we'd be there, Andrew, would we? We'd, no. I, well, I, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But, but you know, but if were we were we to be there, were we to be there, commentating on the Ryder Cup would 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 I think be the one where you would you, you it would really hit home and really feel extremely strange just because of the part that they're playing it. I mind you, from a football mm-hmm. point of view, I was talking to a colleague the other the other the other week saying that I think the one from a football point of view would be if it comes to the FA Cup final and. We are going to cover that with no crowds at Wembley. I mean, how bizarre would that feel? Driving up to Wembley, parking directly outside, walking in with no crowd for the FA Cup final. So, um, you know, and I think we've seen it already with the matches that I've watched in the Bundesliga, just how how odd it is. And, and I mean, I have I have actually commentated on a couple of matches behind closed doors in the past. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it and it is it is a very different experience. Can you imagine um, one of your? I was going to say iconic moments of commentary, but it, we, we neither of us would be comfortable with any of that nonsense. It was just, but it was uh, the sixteenth hole at Celtic Manor in two thousand and ten in the Ryder Cup, and McDowell against Hunter Mahan, and all the mm. crowds up on the banking to the left of the fairway. And you commentating. This is where I would, if I could be bothered contacting the BBC to appropriate the rights for this clip, play in the clip of you commentating on Graham McDowell's putt down the hill. But the crowds there and the noise, mm-hmm. imagine the contrast. Imagine doing that in front of nobody at all. But that was, that was just an astonishing moment. He has to put through his own shadow this warm October sunshine. And McDowell now rolls the ball towards the hole. It's rolling, it's rolling, it's in, it's in, it's in! Graham McDowell turns away and shouts to the Welsh skies in delight. He's won the hole and he's two up, but he still has to finish off and win the match to regain the cup for Europe. Well, there we are. It turns out I could be bothered asking for permission. So thank you to the BBC for allowing us to play that clip of that amazing moment. Now back to the chat. Well, that, that was a good, that's a great example of what you're talking about because... 
you know where we where we were there where we were there eddie was on the left hand side so we were slightly up the slope and we yeah. i was with maureen medill actually and and we were i mean you know what it's like the right a cup that you know within the inside the ropes particularly when it gets to the sharp end it's it's absolutely it's so congested with all of the people inside the ropes and on that monday you know it all it was very, very different day of golf, that wasn't it, Andrew? And the, and yeah. the and the people who came onto the course that day, the atmosphere was was unlike, I think, anything else that I've experienced at a golf event. And and you know the excitement, the drama, the moment just got the better of people. And and because it was so congested inside the ropes at the 16th, people were just climbing over the ropes. Mm. And and I remember sitting in there in a position where and we had to inch further and further forward because I was just aware of the fact that there were there were spectators suddenly appearing like right next to me on my left hand side, right next to me on my right, behind us, and getting closer and closer. And all of the time thinking. I'm getting I'm getting away from the the people who are coming onto the inside the ropes behind me, but I'm getting closer and closer to the green. Yeah. And in the end, I remember thinking, he must. I remember thinking Graham McDowell must be able to hear what I'm saying here. Hmm. So I think you, you know the way that we do golf commentary, Eddie, on the radio. You know, it's very much subtle voice. You know, we're. we're but I think that was the, the, one of the most subtle voiced pieces of commentary I've ever done because I just thought he must be able to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah it's, it would be, oh, I'm just picturing how funny it would be, you know, if, if there's no one there and you're having to generate as much dra dramatic voices yeah. as you can, it would just almost become a comedy sketch, um, you know, yeah, you can see the yeah. players laughing at that point. But that's the point, it would sound ridiculous, because yeah. you ride along as a commentator on the back of the, the, the wave of the, the noise of the spectators, but yeah, we definitely, and that's the thing about radio commentary, as John's saying there, is that you've got to get close enough to be able to to be able to see and to convey that atmosphere, but if you, it's a simple thing, sometimes if you're standing upwind of a player, if the wind is blowing down towards the player, they can yeah. hear your voice much more clearly. Thomas Bjorn yeah. gave me a, a hard stare once at Loch Lomond. Um, I said, "Oh, some 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 fools put him off here." And looking around, there's no. It's just me. So uh, it's <laughs> I, just, I, I remember. I remember. I, uh, go on, John. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, re I remember one similarly. With I was with Maureen Medell again. We must have been, we must have been about a hundred yards short of the green and Luke Donald clearly could hear us. And, and it was exactly the same sort of scenario of all people. Luke Donald mm. uh, gave, gave us, gave us a hard stare. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, we're a long way away, but it was, the, I think it was just the wind behind. What were you going to say? They were, well, they, I remember being in Sweden in 2014, playing the final round with Henrik Stenson and, um, we had, I mean, you'd expect to hear Wayne Riley from the clubhouse and you probably could, but I could hear him on one hole and he was, you know, I had this shot from 40 yards and you could putt or chip it and I chose to putt it and, and he was saying, oh, he's got to chip it, he's got to chip it. And it was interesting because it was the first time in my career where I had been in that position anyway, I think. And then you get a commentator, he's basically, you can hear and he's saying what he thinks and then you're having to put that out of your mind. And um, I didn't get a very good shot. I think I chose the putter in the end, but uh, yeah. Did you give me Claire? Yeah. No, I didn't. He, uh, you know. I don't know what I did. Can you do it, Claire? Hmm. No, I'm not sure I can. Was it? No. Are you doing one there? And we just can't see just, it. It's amazing. Just trying to think of Frank but, Boff. But that's the don't, don't stop it. Oh, edit point. No, so, uh, well, that was the thing in the famous one in the in 1989 Open at Troon in the playoff, uh, where Greg Norman puts it into the bunker down the right-hand side of the 18th. And they had a huge, they had the huge television screen in the tented village, which was just off to the right. Um, 
and the full commentary was blaring out in the tented village and Peter Alice was commentating and Norman was sizing up this shot and he, he had just had no shot and Peter would be saying, oh, he's just going to try and get it out somewhere and, and Greg Norman had to back off a couple of times and Peter was saying, oh, something's put him off here and he, you could hear Greg Norman go, he's trying to tell me how to apply the shot. Uh, again, I don't know where he's, where he's from. but um. it's, it's funny, though. I, I remember at Carnoustie in the final day uh, a few years ago, and I was on the... Um, I was having a decent final round, and I was on about the seventh hole, that par four up along the uh, out of bounds, and I was in the right rough, and, and right there was a lot of crowd, but there was also a big TV screen, and, and I was on the TV, so I'm lining up my shot. I can, like exactly what you've just described, I can hear the commentary, I can see myself on the TV. It's a very strange very strange place to be as the player at that point um i must say it throws up some was it in your eye line no it was to the side of me but i again i could see it you know i was i could see it all on tv as i was walking into the shot on the on the side at the side of my eyes you know i was very aware that it was all there kind of thing and um i just wanted to see how i was looking a bit chubby um oh was it pre-bone broth and everything so it was just this yeah oh it was desperate yeah (laughs) did you run Uh, your fingers through your hair no, I didn't. I left that to Phil that day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, actually, because you, you've been to the US Open a couple of times as well, John, and more than a couple. Um, Michael yeah. Campbell, Pinehurst 2005, uh, was one that you did, wasn't it? I, I, That's I, right, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't, I, for some reason, I'm reminded of a press conference where everyone was just trying to find out details about him. It was his uh, yeah. his, his his grandmother uh, came up in conversation quite That's a bit. That's right. Yes, she did. <laughs> yes, um, he he did. He paid fulsome tribute to his grandmother, and I mean, it was a lovely it was a lovely press conference that because you know he was, I mean, he was he was genuinely bowled over to 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 have won his major championship yeah. and you know and, and as we know you know at the, at the time you know you'd think oh he might win he might win another one he might win a couple more but yeah. you know it, it turned out that way but i mean he was brilliant whenever whenever you see someone win their first um major like that i think you you see them at that at their best because it all comes out and, and he was asked about his various influences so everyone's there listening away intently and, and all the scribes are writing and whatnot and and uh, he mentions his grandmother and what she meant to him and somebody said could we just what what what's her what's her name what, what is the the name of your grandmother and he said yeah she's called tit and uh and everyone sort of stopped and looked up and said it's how do you spell that? T I T, tit. Mm. It's a no. lovely moment. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you were at, you were also at the, the in the press conference. You came back to report because when Mike Weir had won the Masters, you were at some. Uh, was it when Mike Weir won the Masters and someone used their one I question? I think it was another. It, yeah, that's right. The question was Mike. Mike, why um, why is it uh, why is it that they call you Weir? Is he? <laughs> and. His answer was, "Well, I, I, you know, I kind of think it's a, a play on my name that uh, that they call me Weirsy." Oh God! Writing it away, writing <laughs> down his quotes. Listen, we have regular features on this uh, podcast, which are uh, of varying degrees of quality. But one of them is um, there aren't many golfers called Alan. So I think at this moment we're going to invite John to play as well. So it's time for this. I'll tell you what, there aren't many golfers called Alan. There we are, a bit of Alan Hansen for you, John. Um, uh, footballing Hugh. To How things. lovely. Uh, yes, oh, he is a lovely, lovely man. I anyway. thought you might have had the BBC singers doing the uh, the, the, the jingle for you there. But, uh, are but there Alan such Hansen's a thing? Is there such a, good a thing? Alternative. 
Do other BBC well, singers? There used to be. There used to be. I think they used to have pre-John Birthdays. They used to have six orchestras or something. The BBC. Anyway. Oh no, I think I think we I think we still have got six. I think we've got no. more than six orchestras. I no, think they're still going strong. Whittled it down to one. It's just a one person have they with a violin. Been, uh, yeah, it's merged. just It's just a guy called Alan with his oboe. Um, right, so the name this week, Dan or Daniel. So it's quite a tricky one, actually. There's Dan or Daniel in There Aren't Many mm. Golfers Called Alan. Incidentally, just before we do that, and some people will have paused to have a little think and write down their list. Uh, others will not. They'll have just stopped listening by now. But um, Alan Dunbar, someone remind who, who, hang on a second. So I've got a review, one of the reviews. Here we are, uh, username Jimmy Wab 1966 Jimmy, you might as well write your bank account password, 1966. Mm. Anyway, he reminds us of Alan Dunbar. So Alan Dunbar won the amateur at Troon in 2012, played Walker Cup, Northern Irishman. I didn't say there were no golfers called Alan. The game is called There Aren't Many Golfers Called Alan. So yes, Alan Dunbar. Oh, and uh, Christina Kim said... um, Brian Harmon. When we were talking about Brian's, we didn't come up with Brian Harmon. Every week there will be names that we miss out. That's part of the fun of it. So Dan's or Daniel's? Alan, Alan Dunbar was quite a difficult interviewee. Did you, did you ever have the pleasure? I think, well, I was there. I was doing it for TV highlights, so uh, so I think I did interview him. It was a bit like Brian McElhinney as well, who won the amateur. They were, they were both players, very quiet, lovely uh, blokes, quite quiet. And yes. People of, of few... Few words. Do I, I, yes. well, I'm Just a guessing very quiet then young man. you must have interviewed him at the Masters. Then is that I think where I did? Yes, and is it that... didn't last. It didn't last long. Okay. Anyway, Alan Dunbar, lovely man, amateur champion. Anyway, so Dan's or Daniels or Danny's, um, and I, I had to think. I had to think of that variation of the name Danny before I came up with a couple of others. So, uh, John, why don't you kick us off? If you've got any at all, they were throwing you in here at the bit of a deep. Well, end. there is a. Well, funnily enough, I wasn't sure whether you were going to ask me first or not. And oh, no. there is a very obvious one, but I'll leave that one. I'll All leave right. that one. And okay. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go Dan Paul. Oh, do you remember that was Dan one of my, Paul? I do. That's one of my, I, that's one of my, I, well, I one of my first and I've had a deep dive on Dan Paul. Um, so, go, yeah, Dan Paul. Have you got any info on Dan Paul? Because if you don't, I have. Right, go on then. Let's try and out, out Dan Paul. Oh, okay. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. No, go on Dan then. Paul, aka Danny Paul. <laughs> I don't know. He was, I didn't know no, he was an aka. The, what, po- you know? the pole cat. Well, well, here's a thing. So, okay, as we try and out, he's got Polecat Golf Club, which he designed in his hometown of Mount Pleasant in Michigan. The Polecat, which looks quite he a nice did. golf course, actually. So, I- there we are. And of course, according to Wikipedia, what are two of his what are two of his great uh, leisure interests, which incredibly for a golfer are hunting and fishing, possibly. I don't know. That's what they're all. You've got it. You've got it. (laughs) Shall we give some golf facts about Dan? So I did know. I I mean, I remember Dan Poe from the eighties. I remember he had a beautiful swing. He was a former baseball player. He was very good at high school and he was he was sort of scouted by major leagues but I rem- I do remember that he lost the playoff to Craig Stadler that was all I remember in the 82 Masters that was all I remembered before I had to go to Wikipedia but you know, he was a very good player Dan Paul oh, sorry. There's, there's, there's a pause he, there I don't know if there's a delay in the line now <laughs> oh, but sorry okay go on and he played Ryder Cup which I'd completely forgotten I he was in that yeah. 87 team that, that I, I, lost yeah. to the Europeans and Played, played with Hal Sutton on the first morning, first afternoon, and they actually beat Ken Brown and Bernhard Langer in the first morning. So, I'd you know, he was that. obviously a very, very decent player. 
It was. I mean, we might as well be speaking uh, Mandarin to Eddie at the moment. Dan Paul. Well, now that will be the Ryder Cup that Ken. That'll be the Ryder Cup that Ken was on about to us, wouldn't he? Where he played with Bernard in the morning, and then um, Sandy Lal. Uh, Sandy Sandy Lal that said, "No, I want to play. I'm playing too well." So Ken then didn't play. So Ken obviously played that morning with Bernard against uh, the Polsey. The the pole the pole cat. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Well, he but he had a great 1986 Dan Paul. So he lost that playoff in '82 in the in the Masters. He was he was third when Tom Watson won the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach in '82. In fact, he went third, second, third in three consecutive majors from the '81 U.S. PGA to the '82 U.S. Open. But again, this is a theme that runs through this pod. He only crossed the Atlantic once to play the Open in 1986 when he missed the cut. 86, he had a great year. He won Colonial. He won the the World Series at Farston. Um, but then he got a back injury, back operation in 87, and it all kind of went downhill from, from there. But he's from Mount Pleasant in Michigan. There are so many Mount Pleasants in the United mm-hmm. States, but Michigan, um, in fact, I think Some we lovely, featured... Ho- lovely hunting inch fishing at um, Mount and Pleasant. a nice hill as well um, but yes yeah, so there we are he was uh, he's considered the greatest athlete ever produced by Mount Pleasant High School in Mount Pleasant Michigan so there we are Dan Paul we've, we've taken a lot mm. of time up with Dan Paul here so Eddie give us another Dan or Danny or yeah that was um, that deep was dive Dan Paul <laughs> yeah epic um, I'm going to go with the obvious one that I think John was alluding to and that's uh, Daniel Van Tonda. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's a South African golfer. Now, I, I think him and his dad have somewhat of an estranged relationship. And, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But uh, a very talented player. Got a really quirky swing. I don't know if you've ever seen. He's very good on the Sunshine Tour, but a real quirky swing. But a real, he can really play. So uh, that's about it. He's South okay. African. Have I said that already? Right, you have said that. I don't know how much of this is your knowledge or where you've got this from, but we'll um, we'll accept all of that unless we're in could see a country again. Um, I will say Dan Forsman, who is a little bit later than Dan Paul. He won five mm. times in the PGA Tour. Won Bay Hill in '86, the same year that Dan Paul won a couple of big tournaments, of course. In fact, I'm surprised there aren't a lot of like 34-year-old golfers called Dan, named in their honour, because it was a very Dan-heavy year. But Dan Forsman, a good player, um, very tall person as well. Not to John, who's six foot four. Dan Forsman still is six foot four. Um, but uh, how tall are you, John? Uh, six foot six, I am. And wow. funnily enough, Dan Forsman was on my list as well oh, because no. you know when we were discussing this pre-podcast. You um, you said you couldn't possibly suggest John for uh, for a name for this game, hmm. and that you felt that my middle name Bruce you felt was too obscure, but in an incredible link, Dan Forsman's middle name is Bruce. That is an incredible link. That's the kind of link we that's the kind of link we like on this. So yeah. uh, and what we just hinted at there is the fact that even though you're a man of the northeast of England, you are essentially Scottish, which I always say because uh, John Bruce Murray could not be more Scottish. Where where are your mm-hmm. roots in Scotland, John? And my brother, my 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 brothers are called Angus and Hamish. Oh, believe come it or not. On. I mean that sounds uh, because my dad, my dad was born in Nairn, in uh, in the far northeast of Scotland. Nairn. That's where I was humbled by a giant Norwegian in the British Boys Championship in 1989. Um, he had a moustache. Really? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not even Royan. He had a moustache. He was playing in the Boys Championship and he had a moustache. That shouldn't be allowed. Um, Daniel Berger. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. I've just done Dan, Dan Forsman. Oh, no. Um, John, have you got any? <laughs> have you got any, any more? Um, I've actually... 
I have got another one, actually. Uh, Daniel Vansick of yeah. Argentina. Okay. Do you remember yeah. him? I, I, I recognise the name. Big man. Um, he was is, a big man. Is that he won, is that, he won is that twice. Got, he won the Italian it? Open. He won the Italian Open in 2009. And he won the Madeira Islands Open in 2007. Hmm. And he won them by a distance. He won one by six shots and the other by seven. I'd lo- I'd lo- Have you played in the Madeira Islands Open, Eddie? I have, actually. I went there once. Yeah. One one and done, I think. Oh, was, it's lovely, um, isn't it? I think it's yeah. no more, though, isn't it? I think it's it's gone the yeah. way of... Um, yeah, anyway. Um, what a shame. Uh, yes, what yeah. a shame for the Madeira Islands. Um, Eddie, go for it. It's a, it's a lovely lovely place. Have you been there, Andrew? Have you been to Madeira? I have not been to Madeira. No, I haven't. No, so. uh, I would recommend it. Okay. They'll <laughs> listen to this podcast in Madeira. That's all I know. Right, uh, Eddie. Oh, Daniel Kahneman. He's not a golfer. Who? But, who's... Uh, who, who he? He's um he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, um, clever man. I said I'd take it away from golf because golf is just inherently boring. But um yeah, Daniel Kahneman, that's where I'm going. But uh, you read a great, lot of great. a lot of books that you would find in the inspiring uh, self help section at well, airports. Now that is a good book. That isn't so much that. That's quite a deep book. But there is also a guy called Daniel Coyle who wrote a book called The Talent Code. Now that is a good book for a sportsman, I think, because uh, he talks about a thing there called slow practice and myelin. And I never knew about myelin until I read this book, but you can train in such a way that you can build myelin much faster. And he talks about, you know, violinists and all sorts of people that do it. It's quite interesting, actually. But uh, two very knowledgeable Daniels there. Daniel Chopra, Swedish what player. What, what, is, what is myelin? <laughs> oh, myelin is the... Um, it's basically in your brain. I think it, I think it's the thing that encapsulates the neurons. So the thicker the the thicker the the myelin, then basically I think the faster you could transmit um, neurons around your brain. I I think that's from memory. It and uh, you can train in such a way that builds that more and more. And and the idea is you train slowly. So I think Annika Sorenstam once had like a three minute or a five minute golf swing, and that would be the exact point: is that you're going through a move so slowly that it's so difficult on your brain and I remember trying it and for literally you could practice for 40 minutes and you'd have to go and have a sleep because um, yeah, golf's boring <sighs> a five, four minute golf swing yeah honestly I think that's true Gordon G. Brand's normal swing um, <laughs> so okay well let's just r- round up the, the golf thing uh, Daniel Berger as mentioned um, coming back from injury now he won FedEx St. Jude in Memphis in 2016 and 17 uh, Father Jay was a world top 10 tennis player uh, played Davis Cup for the USA. Daniel Chopra, the Swede, he won twice in the PGA Tour. Um, Danny Lee, Daniel Torrance, son of Sam, Dan Walker of uh, <laughs> Football Focus and BBC Danny Breakfast. Willett. We, we haven't. We've mentioned Danny Willett, have we not? I don't think so. Were we all saving him until the suggestion. end? All right, okay, there we are. Okay, well, let's end on Danny Willett then. Um, actually, every week we should, in the name, decide who is the greatest of that name in golf. So, who would you give that to? Because Danny Willett, obviously Ryder Cup player and winning the Masters, but Dan Pole, the pole cat, I mean he knew, you know third, second, third in in the majors, mm. lost a playoff, played Ryder Cup, won four times on on the PGA Tour. I I personally give that to Danny Willett. I think he's had a bit of an underrated mm. career. Very okay. good player. There we are. We're deciding uh, right now. Danny Willett is the greatest Dan, Daniel or Danny ever to have played golf. And that's just a fact. So there aren't many golfers called Alan and there aren't too many called Dan, Daniel 
Oh, Danny. Right, that's done. And also, um, I would say the, the delay on the line seems to be extending. It started off quite sharp and quite punctual. And as this interview has gone on, either John is becoming a little bit more tardy with his thoughts or he's just kind of... The, the, I think there is a little bit of a delay on the I line I think now. what's happened is... I think, I think I've had a build-up of myelin and it's <laughs> slowed me down. Uh, right. Anyway, listen, John, we're going to let you go now because we've kept you far too long. And your... I had I had one question. In terms of co-commentators, when you work with former footballers, what is it that makes, or, well, you don't have to give any names, but what is it that would make the better ones the best? And uh, what we know, how difficult is it sometimes to work with former footballers in the co-commentary environment? If that makes sense. I think what makes the yeah, I think what makes a, a good co-commentator is someone who naturally will not look to repeat what you've said. You know, will look to will look to um, you know explain what's going. It's the classic insight question or the insight instruction that we give to to all summarizers that I work with. That that's what we're looking for. And I think someone who someone who I'll tell you what, what, what I look for in a summariser. Someone who, if it's a great game, is going to really add to it. But also importantly, if it's a terrible game, whether it's a summariser who I'm going to be able to provide what I hope it would be an entertaining piece of commentary. And, and as a commentator, as a, you know, when, we're, when we're covering live matches, the, to, to have a to have a summarizer alongside you is the biggest tool that you've got. So if you've, if you've got a, a good summarizer, I think you can make any game, certainly on the radio, you can make any game sound vaguely interesting. So that's what I look forward to. If I'm going to a match and I know that a certain individual is with me and I think, do you know what, whatever happens today, we're going to be fine because, because we'll be able to make it, um, make it listenable. So that's what I would say. Mm. You're going to need the uh, the very best of them in the in the weeks and months to come with no fans, but it's uh, it's going to be interesting. We're going to enjoy listening to you, John, and it's been a pleasure talking to you as well. We didn't even get on to Tintin and yes, your, well, your love there of the books. No, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. I've had a, it's in, in lockdown. We've had a bit of it. We've had a bit of a Tintin and Asterix revival. So oh, right, I've, okay. I've, I've been digging uh, digging those out of the cupboard, very all quickly. of which were bought before Eddie was born. Uh, very quickly, favourite Tintin and favourite Asterix? Ooh, favourite Tintin is... It's a tough one, that. That's, a, that's the toughest question of the day. Mm. And I might just go with The Prisoners of the Sun, mm. which, uh, it, which is a big favourite. Always right. enjoyed that one. Right. And uh, Asterix, uh, I think quite like, quite enjoy Asterix and the Banquet. Um, yeah. And Asterix the Legionary is, a, is an all-time classic, as indeed yeah. is Asterix and Cleopatra. You can't go wrong, really, with them. Anyway, um, we've yeah. learned so much. No, John. you're not, not joining in on that one? Uh, I... Yeah, no, I was I was I was more of an Asterix fan than a, a Tintin. Asterix has been ruined for me by every single person now who says Asterix when they mean Asterisk um, for the mm. punctuation. Smart. Anyway, so um, good. We're going to end it on that note. There, the delay gets longer and longer. So uh, let's see how long it takes John to acknowledge us when I say thank you for joining us, John. So John, it's been great. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Eddie, and thank you, Frank Boff. (laughs) Thanks, John. Eddie Pepperell, which one is he again?
There we are, John Murray, lovely John Murray. Um, he is one of the best. Uh, I mean, just, yeah. I remember, um, was it the Sports Commentator of the Year uh, category at some award ceremony? And I was on the same table with John. We'd both been nominated for this thing. Um, and the, uh, they did it in reverse order. They, so there were five nominees in each category, and then three would get announced. You'd have two honourable mentions and then the winner. And they went through the third place, blah, 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 second place, blah, blah, blah. And then in first place, our commentator of the year, a man who covers many, many sports and does so with a wonderful lightness of touch and humour. And I had almost straightened my tie and pushed my chair back. And then he went, and his work in football is extraordinary. And I sort of sat down again and uh, John went up to get it. But he is, genuinely, he is the best. When people ask me who the best broadcaster or people I really admire, he is the best commentator. He's just brilliant because he does it with such a sort of natural charm and ease and he's just uh, brilliant so I, I would never say any of that to his face but um and he won't listen to this podcast so that's fine but anyway he's brilliant um do you enjoy that chat yeah that was great i you know it's funny how many people i mean radio is so popular isn't it and it's for me it's a bit weird because i've only ever watched television and, and yeah. i've not ever listened to things like the open or the masters on the radio but there's been the odd occasion where i have and i must say um, you know whether it's the team that often the BBC put together it is it is brilliant and I can totally see why people just would mute the television and just listen to the radio it's um great voices great great insight and just like you say a natural comes off the tongue in just the right way doesn't it yeah um right we're gonna uh, just close things up now I've had um uh, actually no we've got to do one more thing I forgot this <laughs> Yeah, that's quite good if you like that sort of thing. Good. Excellent. Looking forward to this, Eddie. What have you got for us this week? Um, oh, come on. I'm just uh, looking around. I've seen some athletic greens, uh, alignment stick. Are uh, you just recommending hours. stuff with, with, uh, that I'm you can see sat, in your sitting room? Well, I'm just sat in my bedroom and thinking, what, what can I see? I've got a little Toomey suitcase there, a couple of backpacks, um, oh, toothbrush charger. Uh, no, I've got nothing, Andrew, so I'm going to give this one to you this week. Well, well, let's all try and get some Tumi cases then. So my my rucksack, my day-to-day rucksack, which I haven't used for three months, is Tumi. Yes, I'm just that high quality. But it really is tre- tremendous. Uh, very expensive, though. Um, so that's what we're recommending, Tumi. No, we're not. We're going to recommend something. But I didn't buy my Tumi. I won it at the Gary Player Invitational in Abu Dhabi at the start of last year. Oh, tremendous. <laughs> and uh, it was, I, I had to choose which would I rather leave behind, the Tumi or the, the trophy and... I wasn't leaving Toomey behind. Oh, oh, was it presented to you by Gary? It was, yeah. Oh, um, good. I don't think you're taking any recommend seriously anymore. We can make or break a product. We're like Mum's Net. So the Jane Choi massage gun, two people got in touch to ask me which make that massage gun was I was talking about because they were going to get one. Now, has the company got in touch to thank me? No. I was expecting a call from Jane herself, but nothing. Um... So I'll okay. I'll recommend uh, something. Tintin books. No, um, I like. Uh, have you ever watched the uh, documentary? The it's either the eighties or the seventies or the sixties. It's a it's a decade really seen through American life, but it's because it's produced by Tom Hanks. But it's so high quality, and they're they're on Sky Arts. And I think they're doing the sixties at the moment. It's just each week will be a, a an aspect of culture that they look at. So they look at music, or they look at film, or they look at politics. And they're so good. Uh, and the one, I think now is a good time to lose ourselves in the sort of comfort of nostalgia and just um, 
Yeah, there we are. So if you get check out Sky Arts and it's the 60s at the moment, but look at the 70s series and the 80s. So That is interesting, actually. I think now is a great time to observe history with all the stuff that's going on. It's easy to think, oh, God, this is what a terrible time we live in. But you can bet your bottom dollar we will look back at a certain decade and you'll see you know, similarities and it just might make you feel that little bit better about yourself now. So I think that's a great recommendation, Andrew, actually. Thank you for that. That's going to help my well-being and uh, wellness, I would say. Good. You're very welcome. Reviews. Um, well, we're up to 113 countries listening to us now. We've added Paraguay. So South America is almost entirely taken over by the Pepper Pod. Okay, we've had, we've had one download in Paraguay, but it's enough. The only countries holding out in South America now... Um, I think the ones who are massive fans of the cut and refuse to listen uh, to the Pepper Pod. Ecuador, where I think they still have posters of Ian Carter. Anyway, four countries along the top holding out. Venezuela, there we are, that's Caracas. Guyana, Suriname, French Guyana. Um, yeah, but Maduro in Venezuela, he's banned the Pepper Pod. So. Well, I'm surprised that you're not popular in um, Venezuela with all the communists. I... Oh. Anyway, it's not really, it's not happening in Venezuela. You can still go to illicit podcast cafes and get it, but I don't think those downloads register. So I think there are lots of downloads in, in Venezuela, but we just don't get registered. Anyway, Paraguay. So a little bit about Paraguay. is landlocked, surrounded by Brazil, Argentina and Bolivia. Bolivia is the only other landlocked country in South America. Uh, and now I go into Wikipedia. Paraguayans are known for being a very happy and easy living people, and many times the country has topped the world's happiest place charts. This is probably since the end of 35 years of military dictatorship, um, which came to an end in 1989. The, the, this period was known as El Stronato, because it was under Alfredo Stroessner. Stroessner was a, a deeply unpleasant individual. Um, his regime... Oh, I'm laughing at that. His regime marked by suppression... <laughs> Suppression, like I know, suppression and human rights abuses. And, uh, yeah, he wasn't very nice. Anyway, so he lived until he was 93 in exile in Brazil, so there's no justice. Right, before we get to golf in Paraguay, who's the most famous Paraguayan sports person? Can you think of anybody? Do you know, there's one person that comes to my mind, and I think the surname is Chilavert. Yeah, Jose Luis Chilavert. Is he, that the right answer? Yeah, that's the right answer, yeah. but uh, yeah. Now, was he a goalkeeper or was he... No, well, there's the thing. He was a goalkeeper. But he scored. Kicks, didn't he? he scored penalties and free kicks. Yeah. He scored a hat trick once in a league match in Argentina. In fact, he scored eight goals in seventy-four games for Paraguay. Emil Heskey was seven and sixty-three for England. <laughs> so Jose Luis oh, Chilavert. Don't, don't pick on Emil Heskey. I'm not like uh, seven seven goals for your country, sixty-three caps is fantastic. But Chilavert was yeah, he was a, a, yeah, he was uh, he was the goal scoring goalkeeper. Right, golf because there are golfers in Paraguay and there are quite quite a few golf courses as well. Fabrizio Zanotti, mm. you, you would know, uh, Julieta Granada. Um, but the daddy of them all, not literally, uh, is uh, Carlos Franco. <laughs> You're going to say Carl Jung there. Carl Jung is, yeah, um, Carl Sagan. Carlos Franco. So, uh, again, golf in Paraguay is, as you'd imagine, uber-exclusive. Polo and golf. and But but Franco is from a very poor family. His father was a, a greenkeeper and caddy. Him and his five brothers all became golf professionals. This is sort of the Argentinian model of people like Cabrera. Angel Franco would be the next best, uh, and he plays in the European seniors tour now. Carlos Franco won four times on the PGA Tour, Two tournaments. He won Milwaukee twice. He won New Orleans twice. Won five times in the Japan Tour. Finished sixth and seventh in the Masters in 99-2000. Played in the President's Cup in 98 and 2000. And now, 
The second-ranked course in Paraguay is the Carlos Franco Golf Club in the capital, Asuncion. So there we are, celebrate the fall of Struzer, but the rise of Carlos Franco in Paraguay. So there we are, Paraguay and Carlos Franco bringing an end to the Pepper Pod this week. Uh, what have you got planned for the next week, Eddie? Um, what have I got planned? I'm playing golf on Friday mm. and Saturday. I'm playing golf with my brother, actually, on Friday, so that'd be nice. Um, so, okay, because he's a pro... But do yes. you give him shots because you're just a better pro? No, he actually gives me shots. He quite often beats me. And we play with another lad. We we're going to big Mark. Um, he's a big lad. Uh, but he's a very good player, actually. Terrible chipper. Hmm. But uh, we're playing with him as well. But he always seems, seems to beat me. But um, Okay. Big actually, Mark. what I like to do when I play with people at home who have some kind of aspiration to be a professional golfer is I often let them beat me. Because then I know they're going to have hope, false hope, and they're going to feed the system that ultimately fills my pockets. So um, then that's when I then beat them when it matters. So that's yeah. kind of my, you know, uh, crude plan of it all. Okay, we'll just end on that hustling note from Eddie there, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye now.